And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. And I have to mention here at the top that uh, they just had a Sammy Sosa card. It was one of the Project 70 uh, maybe two days ago. Very cool uh, artist rendering. Uh, just kind of a just kind of cool looking card. So check that out if you get a chance. Uh, I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. This is the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. And, uh, we didn't get, you know, so we're recording this on Tuesday morning, Cubs rained out Monday night. And so we're sort of in a bit of a nebulous zone with respect to this Brewers series that was going to be ongoing. So we don't have a lot to say about that. We will have more to say about that on Thursday when we talk to you, especially with Justin Steele making his starting big league debut. Uh, so we'll kind of save a lot of the, that pitching conversation for later in the week. Um, but before we get into our main topic du jour, do you have anything to say, Mooney, about the White Sox series, which went just about how we would have expected it to go? Yeah, I mean, how come the Cubs can't develop a pitcher like Dylan Cease or a hitter like Eloy Jimenez? Can I can I beef about something on that? Specific? Not the not the traditional beef, not the trade. I'm not going to rehash all that crap. Although I did have fun resharing. I think it was a Sahadev article from a couple of years ago where where someone told him that um, the Jed Hoyer didn't love the Jose Quintana trade when it went down specifically because yeah, wanted- that's a great Greenberg wrote that. And that's, okay. that was a big like running joke that they had made. I, my understanding in the office of Theo making fun of Jed for like having a man crush on Jimenez or something like that. It was <clears throat> who among us, the Cubs are going to the NLCS at that point and, you know, winning 95 games. So I think there was a little more, uh, you know, latitude granted during that. Time. Now, and I don't was, even have an issue with the trade, to be honest. I think it's no, more just well, they didn't have other guys coming like that, you know. I think everyone, I think, and I went back to someone, when I reshared that article, someone reshared my write up from like the day of the Quintana trade. And I was, I don't, I didn't remember what I said. And so I looked back at it and I think uh, that my reaction was love that they're doing this trade. Holy crap, that's a steep price to pay, but I guess that's just what it costs. And I think this is, it fills a need. Da 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 da. Love Quintana. So, I mean, I was into the trade. I just thought it was a really steep price to pay, which I think ultimately has proved to be correct, um, particularly as we watched those two dominate the Cubs this weekend. So, what I was going to say, what, what I was going to beef about with respect to that is, again, not that traditional stuff. It's that. So when we talk about like homegrown stars and like, oh, the, the people with good farm systems, all that, like 
people exclude someone like Kyle Hendricks from being a Cubs homegrown player. They're like, boy, the Cubs never have a homegrown pitcher. Okay. He was in the Rangers farm system for like half a year. And then he was entirely developed by the Cubs. So wait, are you telling me that the Cubs get credit for Dylan Cease and Eloy Jimenez? Because they were originally Cubs prospects. So I guess the Cubs clearly developed these guys great because you're not giving them credit for Kyle Hendricks. You got to give them credit for the guys they originally had, right? Or they just get credit for no one. They basically get credit for no one. Well, I think it's interesting that Cease, I had written it a couple years ago that, you know, it was Keith Lockhart, the former Atlanta Brave, was the scout at the time who was really on Cease and, you know, was recommending him. And it just sounded like this great collaborative approach of, okay, we know he's going to have Tommy John. So, like, they sold him on how they would kind of build him back up. And, you know, Keith had a great, you know, he played for those Atlanta Braves teams with, like, Hall of Fame pitchers. Like, he had a good snapshot of what it, you know, major league caliber pitching should look like. And, you know... Keith, unfortunately, was one of the scouts let go during the um, pandemic layoffs last year. And obviously, whatever co- collaboration the Cubs did with Cease has not quite translated the same way with the whatever dozens and dozens of other pitchers they've drafted over the last decade. And I think with Menez, like he's still going to have to like stay healthy. And you know he is about like the DH the Cubs expected. But man... He just has a great personality. Like the Cubs did not oversell that at all. If anything, they undersold it because everyone's like, oh, he's he's a good kid, comes from a good family. Like he, he has this infectious personality. But like to see it on display, even like how many players on Zoom cut through the clutter, clutter and are like, wow, that dude is hilarious. And you could tell it walking around Wrigley Field. Like he he loved it. He was gave Alzali a big hug and they were talking for a while before game one last weekend and just like you could see some of these Cubs teams had kind of gotten a little stale over the years not that he would have been the fix for all that but I mean Cubs fans would love to watch that dude hit for the next you know five six seven years good news Cubs fans you get to watch him hit for the next five to six years in (laughs) Chicago just not for the Cubs uh so anyway that like I said that series went I mean you you don't even a good team against a bad team you don't necessarily predict a sweep uh every time but i mean i think roughly went how you'd expect and we did get that brief moment of joy with career journeyman andrew romine hitting the shocking three-run homer off of craig kimbrell which you know it wasn't like there was reveling in the joy of kimbrell mucking up Uh, i did say mucking up by the way so michael producer you don't you don't gotta bleep that one uh a, a big moment but it was sort of like I don't know. It, the, Kimbrel going to the White Sox, the only part about it that I don't like, I don't really care about the inter-city you know, city trade, any of that stuff. I just don't love that like he doesn't get to close over there. I just think that's sort of annoying, this, this Hall of Fame trajectory closer. And I know it's only a couple months, and then they'll kind of reconfigure maybe. But I don't know. You know, he comes in the eighth inning in that game and blows it. And it, a little part of me is like, again, I'm not celebrating Kimbrel failing in that moment but a little part of me is like yeah that's right you don't use him that way white Sox. you screwed that up and i know liam Hendricks is great i'm not saying he's been fantastic but kimbrell was the best reliever in baseball this year it just it's really annoying to me i don't know why that gnaws at me so much but it's really bothering me um so 
<laughs> you could comment on that. <laughs> hey. I don't. I don't have any inside information on this. This is totally speculative, and I'm sure Craig Kimbrell just wants to win the World Series. That's what everyone says. But there, I am totally guessing. But there has to be a piece of him that has to be like, dude, really? Like, I want to get to the Hall of Fame. I want to get as many saves as possible. That has been on his mind. I mean, people started asking about the Hall of Fame like at the beginning of his career because he put up so many big numbers at the front end. And be like. He might be pitching as well as he ever has in his life. And you've got this old dude in the dugout telling you, hey, let's work the eighth inning here. Like, I can't imagine that's like his absolute ideal scenario right now. But yeah. if they win the World Series, everyone, everyone's happy, right? So Unless they bring it back on the option. and like, we loved you in the eighth inning. Yeah. You're going to be our eighth inning guy <laughs> next year. And I realize that old dude is a Hall of Famer, but it's just a very, it was just a very odd sight from the press box of seeing Craig Kimbrell come in to Wrigley Field in the eighth inning in a White Sox uniform. No sweet child of mine. <laughs> um, just a, just uh, just surreal. Uh, that would be the way to sum up Cubs White Sox series uh, overall. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Mooney, I want to talk to you about something that you wrote uh, this week. Well, you you wrote initially the piece on Wilson Contreras this weekend, I believe, right? And then you I mean, update. Brett, Brett, you could just say it. I'm, I'm milking Wilson Contreras no, and like Kyle Hendricks. No. There's like three players left on the <laughs> major league team that people like know and want to read about. So I will admit that I have... When I've gotten the opportunity, I've jumped on those angles, and I'm not going to uh, shy away from that. <laughs> I guess that is how, like, I'm setting it up. Like, it was you. Let's see, it was the fourth time you wrote about Wilson. Was it? No, no, no. It was the fifth. No, no. I mean it sincerely. It was. It was great. And what what Mooney wrote about any of his Wilson Contreras' piece, Contreras pieces, folks, you can go back and look at, and you will appreciate and enjoy. But he had started a conversation about the idea that if the Cubs are uh, sincere in their desire to compete nearer term, if this isn't a multi-year rebuilding process, and if you want to be able to compete not only in 2022 with whatever residuals you still have and guys you can add in free agency, but then also as the roster gets younger and transitions, it might make a lot of sense to have those extension conversations with Wilson Contreras, who of course is under control for just one more year in 2022. And that got this, I think you were pointing to, and it got me thinking about how much Contreras, particularly this offseason, is, is, could be such a bellwether for what the Cubs really intend to do next year. Because not unlike the three guys heading to the trade deadline, 
impending free agents. And Jed said it multiple times that, you know, you're looking at two months of these guys in a non-competitive season when they're going to hit free agency anyway against the ability to capitalize on that value to bring in new talent. And that was that was just a very rational, logical decision as he thought of it at the trade deadline. Really, it's a similar version of that this offseason with Wilson Contreras. Because if you view 2022 as a transitional year, where at most it's a, hey, maybe we get crazy breakouts from guys and we're competing at midseason and then we add. But we don't expect it. In, in that way, reminding me of 2013, if people remember, it was the second year, full year of the rebuild. They did add some pieces. They'd added Edwin Jackson. They added Carlos Villanueva. And it was sort of like you could tell what the mode was. It was, if we catch fire in the first half, great. Let's We'll just run. We don't expect it. We kind of still expect to sell off midseason, but we'll at least give ourselves a, a fighting chance. I could see that being the 2022 mode. But one big clue we'd have to knowing in advance that that's what it was going to be is if the Cubs traded Contreras this offseason to some team that was pushing a little harder for next year, wanted the the catcher, wanted an opportunity to get him in-house and maybe try to sign him before free agency. I mean, that's going to be very telling. And similarly, it will not be inconsistent with that approach if the Cubs don't trade him and don't extend him. And then it's just looking like, oh, we'll do the same thing at midseason again in 2022. The caveat there that I would throw in is that trading a starting catcher midseason is a more difficult thing than any other position player because of the way he works with pitchers. Some teams are reticent to feel like they can maximize the value of that catcher, trying to get him in the door, get him you know, really on point with the pitching staff. Uh, at, you know, with only two months left in the season. So I would tend to think that's why I point to this offseason dichotomy of either you extend him or you trade him. And I don't know that it'll actually play out that way. We'll talk about some CBA caveats in a moment, but like, that's really how I'm looking at this Wilson Contreras situation. Yeah. And the Cubs are never going to put it that way of, we either have to extend him or we trade him. They never want to be like backed into a corner. But, you know, let's go this one by one. We've probably talked about this a million times, but all right, Chris Bryant, he's a Scott Boris guy. They manipulated his service time. He's a big union guy. Probably going to test free agency. Okay, fine. Rizzo, his back, he's a little older, doesn't play a premium defensive position. We made a strong offer. The Cubs can say, all right, Go to free agency. Uh, we were close with... Ha- this is the Cubs' perspective. We are close with Javi. The <laughs> pandemic happened. He's kind of a wild card player in terms of projecting it out. You know, is he going to, like, get 40 bombs, strike out 200 times, play gold glove defense, or commit, like, 30 errors? Like, it, it's a little... The shape of his contributions are a little different than a normal player. Okay, fine. You're not going to extend him. But, like, are we really going to go down this road with Wilson Contreras, too? Like, at a certain point, like... Don't you have to pay someone to play on your baseball team and you don't want to pay the guys that you know better than anyone else, the guys who brought you the championship in professional sports? Like, How many times are we going to go down this road with the Cubs and their core players? And so uh, I think Wilson has a certain amount of 
leverage here that I think in terms of public pressure, the position he plays, it's really hard to find good major league catchers. And I don't want to go too overboard with the like culture clubhouse chemistry stuff because the Cubs need good starting pitchers more than good chemistry. But like, I think there's something to be said to the way that Wilson has worked his way up the ladder from a guy the Cubs left unprotected in the Rule 5 draft not that long ago. Uh, a guy who wasn't like the number one prospect in the world from the moment he entered the organization. Uh, his passionate style of play, um, you know, just blasting his teammates in a very matter-of-fact way before the All-Star break. And, you know, the Cubs couldn't come out the next day and be like, yes, he's our leader, because that's like the worst thing you could accuse a teammate <laughs> of. But... I think there's something to the fact that, you know, a guy like Craig Driver comes in with new ideas and he's on board with pitch framing of like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to work on. Um, I Chili, what I wrote with you, Chili Davis had a dramatically different experience when he came in and tried to talk hitting. I mean, Chili Davis, a guy who won World Series rings, had, I don't know, was it 300 home runs as a switcher in the big leagues? Played like almost 20 years in the big leagues, was a guy that contending teams wanted on their team later in his career, in part because he was this great clubhouse guy and clutch hitter. So I think taking all that together, it's not unreasonable to try to extend him, you know, especially when I was kind of surprised, you know, the Grandal deal, because he did that year with the Brewers, um, kind of a one-year pillow contract. It was like four and 70 plus with the White Sox. Even Perez's extension with Kansas City wasn't as, crazy as i thought uh it was about four and and 70 plus like 71 72 which i forgot how young he was you know when he first started with the the royals and how young he was when he signed that contract extension like okay real muto uh maybe he's the outlier not saying the cubs have to like match or exceed that but the ballparks we're talking about are not unreasonable for a guy who i think would probably age pretty well if you have the dh if he can play first base he can play the outfield and you just have to support that with like a legit backup catcher who can stay healthy yeah that is the point right there that uh, i was gonna hammer that because of the workload for wilson Contreras over the last few years um you would worry i mean like you would with any catcher post 30 about the body breaking down and we've seen the cliff for catchers in particular um where it just it it has to be the accumulation of the wear and tear um and then that the skills can just erode so rapidly and um there isn't anything specific to wilson Contreras that makes you worry about that because he's you know once he's established himself he's been pretty consistently good all around with the addition of the pitch framing skill that you mentioned that that came on last year and but you you do realize that you know the cubs can't lean on him like this for much longer if they want him to still be productive when he's 32 33 34 and that is going to require a backup catcher situation where you feel uh, very comfortable that it isn't a, just a titanic downgrade every day that you can't start Wilson Contreras because that puts the manager in a tough spot of like having to every day do that mental balance of like, oh, really want to rest him today, but we really need this one and it's a big difference and this starting pitcher works better with him and 
you just don't want the manager to be in that spot. You want him to feel good about his, the ability to to pull on the backup more than they have been. And I thought, interestingly, to that point, because this is all related. I mean, this, we're talking about the extension stuff, but it's it's all related. That I thought your what you wrote more recently about the catching situation, Patrick, about Miguel Amaya and what has ultimately become a nearly lost year for him with the forearm and elbow issue that he's been down two months now. And as you reported, uh, there was an effort to get him back going, but he was still feeling discomfort. And so now it's kind of maybe fall, maybe winter ball, but, but his minor league season is very likely over at this point. And how that relates to the conversation we're having now is it's not that hard to imagine a world where a guy already on the 40 man at double a breaks out this year, much like Wilson himself did that his first big breakout was a double a and, and you could tell by the nature of his breakout. Oh, he's a big leaguer. That's a big leaguer. If that had happened with Amaya, maybe you think about this conversation in a different way. It didn't happen. And indeed it didn't happen in a way that has to leave you more cautious about what could come next for him because you just don't know what his health is going to be. You don't know what the accumulated effect of losing nearly two development years is going to be. And so I start thinking in two minds about that. One, like you said in your article, Mooney, it kind of gives a little more leverage to Wilson to be able to to seek more in an extension because there is no obvious next up for the Cubs, even after next year. And then I think about the fact that maybe since Amaya is already on the 40 man, he'll have used up option years that it's going to get to the point where you're going to have to have him on the big league roster at a time when he might not be ready to be a starter anyway. Is it really the worst thing in the world that maybe he would be your really good backup uh, to both lighten the load on Wilson Contreras and uh, just kind of help bring Amaya along in a way that, again, Contreras himself was brought along as the third catcher behind David Ross and, uh, you know, Miggy. So I just... All of that stuff, we can't sit here today and tell you what's going to happen. Neither can the Cubs. But that all goes to the point that it's not as if extending Wilson Contreras or making that an offseason priority is like completely inconsistent with what's available in the farm system or what the even if the Cubs adored Miguel Amaya and they thought he was going to be amazing still. There's nothing inconsistent with saying, hey, can we try to work out like a four-year-ish deal for Wilson Contreras? And we'll we'll coordinate the rest after that. So unlike – I love how you set up, Mooney, there, the, the conversations about Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez, how you could talk about not extending them, making sense. I have a much harder time, particularly given the landscape for catching in baseball, I have a much harder time talking myself out of – a reasonable extension for Wilson Contreras. Yeah, because I was, it was at this time last year where the Cubs could feel pretty good about their catching depth, top to bottom, and that included Victor Caratini, and you know I know David Ross. He's learning a lot on the, on the job. There's been unexpected challenges here, but what does he know? He knows catching. He knows pitching. He knows defense, and that is his like kind of core belief system right there. And he felt that Caratini lining him up with Darvish got the best out of Darvish. It helped rest Wilson. It just helped kind of organize the team. And you had two, you know, catchers 
not young, not old, like really at a good point in, in their careers. And when you trade away Caratini, that <laughs> chips away at it. Obviously, Amaya, when they sent him down in 2020, it was before spring draining shut down. I mean, Ross was talking about this guy as having the receiving and throwing skills to be a backup catcher in the majors, like right then. But the Cubs had much bigger ideas for him. He had not had a lot of high-level experience. And I don't want to put too much on him. I like this is what happens to prospects. They get injured. They take a step back. They underperform. But this is someone who was like, I believe, is you know the captain of his national team coming out of Panama. Someone who had real leadership qualities. Uh, I'd spoken to him in English like years ago, it kind of blends together now. But when he was at South Bend, I had a really nice conversation with him in the dugout, like before he went to the futures game. And, um, you know, they were hoping there was a, whoever the, there was a Brad hand trade where, a you know, a good catching prospect kind of went. Francisco, you know about, yeah. Francisco Mejia went okay, from the Indians to the Padres. And so when the when the Cubs you know thought about oh can we get a guy like Han they're like ideally like a year from now not saying they trade him I but he would be viewed as like a legit top one hundred maybe a top fifty prospect in the game and that would just kind of multiply their options going forward and you can't really say that now um, the idea of maybe a team would want Victor Caratini as like a number one catcher and would kind of step forward and make a deal that would keep Wilson in Chicago and the Cubs could round out their roster another way that obviously didn't happen. And so there are interesting catchers, you know, at the lower levels of, of the system, but like, you know, in terms of a guy who you can count on and build around it's Wilson. And I think it's important to remember, you know, if the shorthand is like one, I'm not a, you, we don't have Sahadev here to do all the math for me because I'm really bad at math. But uh, this guy's like a th- right now a 3.4 WAR player this year, according to Baseball Reference. Like one win is about ten million dollars, right? I mean, so it's not unreasonable to think this guy, you know, can maintain a certain level of production as long as he gets some help behind him at a way that's going to be approaching $20 million, you know, for multiple years. Like, let's not, you can't just extend these guys on your terms. And I know you have a CBA question teed up. And I was talking to someone yesterday about this, like Jed can feel like these offers are going to stand up exceptionally well over time, but it's also hard to then say, but we don't know what the CBA is. So we can't like do anything or say anything about our plans. Like these are, that appeared to be conflicting statements to me. I don't know how you feel about that, Brett, but it's hard. Like this idea of we don't know about the CBA. We're not sure what's ever going to happen, but our offers were awesome. And like the, like the players are going to regret that over time. I realize that's like a caricature of Jed's position. And he's answering a lot of questions, but those are two things at a certain point, the Cubs are going to have to reveal what they actually want to do. And it's coming a lot faster than maybe people think. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, that actually leads really well into the question, um, and so I'll just transition to it. Uh, It's from Adam. Adam from Iowa. Uh, Sorry about all the blackouts, Iowa. Uh, Adam from Iowa. But uh, he asks... Could you go into more detail about what could change with the new CBA? Obviously, there are some new rule changes, for example, Universal DH, that could sway some decisions. But what financially could change that has the Cubs holding off and wanting to be so flexible? Isn't it never a bad thing to acquire good players? Perfectly put, Adam. That, that really sums up the question that I think um, we, some of us, myself included, have kind of glossed over the particulars of why you wait uh, or why it's justifiable to wait on making those decisions. Um, and a reminder, so I don't forget at the end, we're at wavelandathletic at gmail.com. That's, that's where you can send these great questions like Adams. And let me, let me touch a bit on the financial side of things because I don't want to, I also don't want to diminish the rules components because all it takes is the DH and the NL to really fundamentally change a lot of these conversations. For example, the one we're having about Wilson Contreras right now changes. If you're like, Oh, we're going to have the DH for sure for the next five years. Okay. That really does change what you might be willing to do with him, but set that aside. And just from a financial perspective, I won't get too nerdy on this because the CVA is going to expire, but what we found happened with the previous iteration is that although the luxury tax level is not a hard cap, uh, because of the way the penalties, particularly on the financial side with respect to revenue sharing, uh, with the way they escalated every year you were over the luxury tax, every single organization treated the third year of being over the luxury tax as a hard cap. Every single organization during this period of time tried to reset under the luxury tax at least one year every three years. Um, And again, there are reasons for that that are just basically tied to the way you're, if you're a large market team, the way some of your revenue sharing money comes back to you, that gets chopped massively by the time you get into the third year. And while I'll never, I'm not being a homer for owners that want to reserve some of that money, it does become a significant enough chunk that it if you have a budget, if you have uh, a limit, you know, there's only so much revenue coming in, it would affect your ability and decisions on making substantial payroll commitments, particularly long-term. So what's the point there? If that changes significantly, it probably in ways that will only emerge over time. We're not going to know a lot of the nitty gritty on the CBA uh, for a little while, but the teams will and the front offices will and the business side will and the owners will. And it is not at all hard for me to imagine a scenario where some of these factors related to the luxury tax or hard capping system or a hard flooring system, any of that stuff could really change the way you're thinking about your two, three, four year window as it relates to free agency, uh, as it relates to extensions. And all it takes is that impacting a few players' markets, a few teams' approach, and then the trickle effect happens and it's it's fundamentally changing all the free agency all of the trade market arbitration extensions everything 
it is not that's just very easy for me to imagine in a hypothetical right like i can't put specifics to it because i don't know what the rules are going to be so if i'm in the cubs front office it isn't hard for me to say i can't tell you as i sit here today exactly how our strategy would change but it isn't as simple as saying as adam did isn't it never a bad thing to acquire good players that's right you're absolutely right but you're only going to be able to acquire good players pre-new CBA if you know for sure that that acquisition, whether it's a signing or a trade, is not going to be affected at all by this trickling that I'm talking about. And thats I suspect that's going to be a very narrow set of transactions. Uh, so there's my, my discussion on the financial part. Anything I missed or that you want to add, Mooney, on why the Cubs and other teams might be reluctant to make significant deals before the CBA is in place. You know, that was a great question from Adam. I'm probably going to steal it and keep asking people uh, about it. I guess I would give two examples. The recent one would be, this seemed to be a top of mind consideration for the Cubs as they were talking about these extensions, um, that it was a perhaps a suggestion or a a talking point from kind of ownership in the business side as they were working with baseball ops of like clearing the deck would be a good idea or not overextending yourself right before the CBA uh, changes would be a good strategy going forward. And the one that Jed referenced after his sell-off at the trade deadline was, you know, I thought a, a relevant one in that, Theo and Jed take over while the Ricketts family has had a very complicated history with Cubs fans in general, what has been, I think everyone can agree upon is that they just give them the number and baseball ops can do whatever they want with it. We can say that the number should have been bigger after they won the world series or that it should have been bigger when they first took over, but that that is their number. They can do with it whatever they want and that the idea coming in back in the fall of 2011 was they wanted to do what they did in Boston and that was going to be signing tons of guys in the draft and internationally guys that were two sport commitments that you know were going to leverage whatever they could to get the most out of baseball whether it was like you know kind of the rich kids who didn't necessarily need baseball uh, right away. Like they were going to sign as many of those guys as they could. It's kind of what they did in Boston. And it was going to be doing, you know, whether it was kind of the Jefferson Marges who could play football. Uh, there were just tons of guys the Red Sox had targeted during their years. And then once those caps were in place, it really changed the landscape. They couldn't do that to the extent they wanted to. I think you look back to the Javi Baez draft class. It wasn't, I mean, Javi more than paid for itself in terms of that draft class, but there were the Dylan Maples, you know, who could have played football. What was he? A punter kicker at Notre Dame. And they bought him out of Chapel Hill. There were the uh, Sean Dunstan's kid and Wayne Gretzky's kid. It was like kind of buying out, um, their commitments, you know, to college or whatever they could have done 
a lot of different things there and that those avenues closed with the CBA. So I think that's something that was a historical example um, that changed for them. That what they did in the 2011 draft, they could in Jim Henry's last year, they could not do uh, to the same extent uh, moving forward. And it was a model that for years the Red Sox had just you know, overspent uh, in the draft just to accumulate as much talent as possible and see what happened. And that door closed, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with this new CBA. Um, and that's why they want to maintain some flexibility. And that too, just to button that up, um, ha- often the draft is structured to have a relationship with free agency with everything else you do uh you know on the roster in fact that that pre-11 cba there was the explicit connection you know those 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 type a free agents type b free agents so this is like old people don't even remember this stuff and the the red sox also exploited that system to get extra draft picks that too went away and so not only would your thinking and approach to the draft and to free agents have to change but like to what types of players you're targeting it, it, the point here is to say that whether it these the CBA changes relate to the financial side, to the rules side, or to the draft, it's going to impact the decisions you make um, at a very narrow level in terms of the guys you target in free agency, but then at a broader level in terms of how you set up, okay, here's what we want the next two to three years of our organization to look like. And so I think it's a great question from Adam because it's we haven't done a great job of articulating, I mean, the Cubs certainly haven't, and but I'll, I'll wear it more than them because I I write about it every day. Of articulating exactly why the waiting and the and maintaining flexibility is so important and is the right move because it just feels like a proxy for saying, oh, it's good to be cheap. No, not really, because once the CBA is in place and like the avenues for using cash to improve your organization become clear. Then I'm going to be right there saying, hey, you got nothing on the books. You should be doing X, Y, and Z to improve the organization long term. But we just can't – we can't do that until we know what the rules are going to be. And so um, I'm realizing now as I say it, God, this could be a painful a lot of months to talk about like organizational approach to X, Y, and Z because like I'm going to keep saying, but we don't know and we don't know. And pe- oh, boy, people get mad when you do that. Boy, they just they get mad when you say you don't know. So maybe I'll just develop a little extra bombast to be like, well, actually, they should just sign Bryce Harper right now because the CBA is probably going to make everybody a free agent. So they should sign him right away. Should I do that? And then then it's like nobody can argue with you because you've just invented some change that's absolutely not going to be coming. Uh, <laughs> you got to think not the not the moment to. Uh kind of scoff at Bryce Harper, I would say, right? Isn't he like Yeah, he's that's on, what I'm saying. Actually on fire for he's he's a team inserted that's himself into first place. Yeah, 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 back into the MVP conversation. That's uh boy, th- talk about another uh whirlwind of hostility from Cubs fans is is when he reasserts himself in MVP level stuff, because he was the guy. I'm totally gonna end the podcast with this, but like he was the guy when the spending stopped with the Cubs. He was like, wait, but he's the guy you're supposed to sign to paper over the previous mistakes because 26-year-old superstars never reach free agency. Whatever. And then they didn't even pursue him. Whatever. Well, this will be the – that'll be our NLCS angle when it's like Chris Bryant 
on the Giants and Bryce Harper on the Phillies, like battling to be the NLCS MVP in like an epic seven game series. That'll God, be... that'll what a treat. What a treat that'll be. What a joy. <laughs> what a joy to consume. Uh, all right. Thank you, folks. As always, this is on to Waveland. It's Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. Catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney. Catch his stuff, some of which is not about Wilson Contreras over <laughs> at The Athletic. We will be back at you later this week to uh, think, think a little more on the rotation stuff. We got some we're, we're going to get some interesting info, you know, with Justin Steele making his starting debut uh, today against the Brewers. So I look forward to that. And I look forward, as always, to sharing these thoughts with you fine folks. If you have an email that you want to share or a question to ask, uh, like Adam did, just hit us up at wavelandathletic at gmail.com. Otherwise, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Take care, folks. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.